sometimes the the child or the young person that's come for the treatment i just see them really as the one that happens to be carrying the energetic burden for the family and when we treat them it helps to then more evenly spread that burden or to to unlock something that was stuck within the dynamic of the family Michael Max, and this is Geological. The Chinese character for heart is also the character for mind, intellect and emotional heart, forebrain and solar plexus, two ways of seeing. One sees division, the other sees unity. One sees the parts, the other understands process. One is a step-by-step manual, and the other is poetry. And you know what? We need both. And while depending on your personality and life experience, you're more likely to preference one over the other, it would be like asking which is better, the right eye or the left. We need both for stereoscopic vision. For a long time, I took it as a potent clue that heart and mind were both represented with the character Shin. It seemed a bit of poetry in the language that was worth being inquisitive about. Only later... Did it occur to me that here in the West, we put the mind in the head, but the Chinese, they put it in the thump thump of your chest. When I was growing up, I'd hear the adults in my family praise certain family members with the phrase, "Mm, she's got such a good mind. That meant that that person was intelligent and had impressive intellectual chops. I don't remember hearing much praise for having a good heart. That was more like a consolation prize. For me, in learning Chinese and seeing that heart and mind were irrefutably connected, that was deeply reassuring. It was something that I'd suspected, but it took going to another culture to get it. Not that it's not in our Western traditions. It's just that there wasn't much poetry floating around in my family. And, well, the one person that did bring poetry into the house, he was suspected of not being particularly stable. Xin in Chinese is a reminder that we need both the intellect and the emotive, non-rational insights of the heart. It's a bit like art and science, two seemingly opposite ways of viewing the world that, on first glance, are competing opposites, but from a more integrative perspective, we see and can inhabit a wider and more embracing unity. Can you remember in those first couple of years of puberty when your senses began to quicken and a new world began to open up and you started to question your place in the unfolding of the world? Adolescence is a time of profound change and transformation, but you already knew that. The question is, what do you do about it and how do you approach working with young people in these critical years of maturation? In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Rebecca Averne on treating teenagers with acupuncture. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. 
you can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine, and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lyle, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. If you found the challenges of working with teens to be both glorious and troubling, you're going to enjoy this conversation. You know, I can remember a time when I thought about working with teens and it rather put me on edge. But for some reason, as I've grown older, it's been easy to deal with kids. But if you're not that long in the tooth as I am and you've got some anxiety about working with teens, you're going to love this conversation. And even if you don't work with kids, Rebecca has some perspectives on our medicine you're still going to find really helpful. Let's get into it. 
Rebecca Ahern, welcome to Geological. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I've been very much, uh, you know, I I can't say I've been very much looking forward to this because I'm always looking forward to these conversations. They're all very different. You're, today, this is going to be a little bit unique because we're going to be talking about working with kids, not just, you know, kids in general, but teenagers in particular, which is, for some people, a very challenging population. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to specifically focus on teenagers because, as you rightly say, I think that they are definitely perceived to be a very challenging population to work with. I like that, perceived to be. (laughs) Well, there's some truth in it, but they're not as difficult as the perception. And that's what I'm here to convince everybody of. Well... It sounds like you have some experience. So how did you find yourself treating this particular population? What drew you to it? So I treat children of all ages. So from newborns up to about 18-year-olds. And I particularly, I enjoy all those different ages for myriad different reasons. And they all present their own challenges and opportunities and their own kind of wonderfulness. But um, with teenagers, I feel that there's a perception, not only really amongst acupuncturists, but in society um, as a whole, Yes. That teenagers are difficult and grumpy and self-centered and all the rest of it. And yet... Wait a minute, you're talking about the American president. (laughs) Oh, well, don't, don't get me started on that one. He makes teenagers look absolutely sweetness and light. (laughs) You know, there there is that perception about teenagers. We actually have one living in our house, a 15-year-old. Uh-huh. And when people find out that my wife's 15-year-old niece lives with us, you know, it's like, oh, you have a teenager at home. Yeah, exactly. And my experience is, yeah, I got a teenager at home. What an amazing human being. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad to hear that that's your response to your particular teenager, because Teenagers are the most extraordinary human beings, I think. I think they're completely unique. You know, they're no longer children and they're not yet adults. Uh, we, We don't really have... I mean, the, the whole concept of adolescence is a very new construct, it was only it only really began to be talked about in the psychology field about a hundred or so years ago, um, and certainly when the Chinese medical texts were written, it wasn't thought of as being a distinct phase in life. So I think that that's another reason why, as acupuncturists, perhaps we have an underlying. Uh, kind of uncertainty about, so are we dealing with a child here or are we dealing with an adult? And how do we how do we adjust our approach accordingly? And actually, they need a different approach. Teenagers 
are not children and they're not adults and we need to find a kind of third way of treating them. I want to dig into that, but before we do, you say that adolescence is kind of a modern construct, 100-ish years old? Yes. What, what was it before that? So it wasn't really sort of separated as a particular phase of life. And I think that one of the reasons for that is that historically it was much more likely that children would reach the age of 16 or whatever it was, and that would be a different age in a different society and at different times. And they would then go out into the world as an adult. And most of the time, it was a fairly straightforward and definitely quicker process than it is now. Whereas we now have this confusing time where our teenagers are living with us and we're often expecting them to behave like an adult, but yet we're treating them very much like a child. And due to financial constraints and, and many other reasons, the, the, the young person is often still with their parents, at least a part of the time, you know, even into their 20s. So it sort of created this kind of halfway house where, uh, you know, which is no longer childhood, but they're no longer adults. And it's become a thing that it wasn't before historically. Mm -hmm. So there's more dependency now. I mean, it does make sense. Hundred-ish years ago or so, many more people living on farms, right? And probably kids having jobs or chores from a young age. And so by the time they're 16, they're actually, they're making their own daily bread, maybe even contributing to the family. You certainly don't see that these days. In fact, a lot of parents, I know, particularly in China, they don't even want their kids to work. They just want them to like go to school and do really well at school. I'm not sure what the situation's like where you live in terms of parents wanting to kind of protect their children so they can like get their education or something of that nature. Very much so. And I think that that's a, that's a part of the issue that one of the many factors that makes adolescence uniquely difficult in the 21st century in the developed world is the enormous pressure and expectation that we as parents tend to put upon our teenagers uh, in terms of them excelling at school and and generally how they behave and you know there's a there's a sort of uh, a general consciousness of this being a very competitive world you know more competitive than it used to be fewer jobs more financial hardship and and we also have fewer children than we did generations ago and i think that those are two of the key factors that mean that we do put an enormous amount of pressure and expectation on on our teenagers and certainly i would say that probably 60 or 70% of the teenagers that i treat their primary reason to coming for coming to the clinic is some kind of mental health problem. 
And that can range from relatively low level stress of one kind or another uh, to a, a, a much more serious mental health problem, which may be self-harming or eating disorders uh, or depression, um, to name but a few. All right. I think about in my practice, I don't see kids a lot. I see more teenagers and younger kids. I kind of get teenagers. Teenagers I can talk to. I mean, for some reason, it by and large works for me. Maybe because I'm living with one, so I've got practice. <laughs> I'm sure that helps. But that being said, I would say the majority of teenagers that I see, it is because of anxiety, depression. Usually those are the things. Their parents don't want them on drugs. And so I'll often get sought out for that. It, it, it breaks my heart to hear about kids like under the age of 16 and they're considering, you know, psychotropic medication. It, it breaks my heart too, Michael. It completely breaks my heart because, well, for, for several reasons. I mean, it is just in and of itself heartbreaking, but over 50% of adult mental health problems begin before the age of 14, which I think is a shocking statistic. That is shocking. And about 75% of adult mental health problems begin before the age of about 23 or 24. And so if we can get teenagers at that time, we can potentially help them to avoid a lifetime of not only medication, which, as we know, comes with its own very real and severe problems, but also the, the damage to a young person's self-esteem that comes over the years of living with something that's perceived as a mental health problem is extraordinarily uh, big. And so I think that a lot of the conversations I have with parents are along the lines of helping them to view the phase that their child is in as a transition period. And in any transition, there's going to be some difficulty and it's very rare to go from one thing to the next in a, in a completely smooth, linear fashion. There, te there tends to be choppy waters somewhere, um, you know, along the way of a transition. And well, so it seems that what we're looking at with adolescence is not just transition, but transformation in very profound ways. And transformation is rarely a continuous a contiguous process. There's usually some kind of leap from one state to another state. And then you've got that kind of liminal in between where you don't know what's up and what's down. Absolutely. I often think of the analogy of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Exactly. And, and that in between state of the, the chrysalis is, is very apt really for teenagers because the caterpillar before it completely dissolves itself builds this cocoon around itself to protect itself uh, while it transforms and 
we become very vulnerable when we're transforming. And that's another reason why adolescents are particularly um, susceptible to any pressure or that we put upon them or any difficulty that happens during that time. And I think just having some kind of background understanding of the nature of this time and Chinese medicine has a wonderful way of uh, describing the nature of this time. So there's a, there's a enormous surge of Yang Qi and hopefully Yin if all goes well, will become for the first time replete and substantial and robust. Uh, there's an enormous fluctuation of, of liver chi and there's a strain on the digestive system. And, you know, this flux of yin and yang perfectly describes what goes on during these years. And just being able to give that kind of language to parents can help them to breathe a sigh of relief, really, because it takes them from thinking that there is something inherently wrong with their child to perhaps reframing it and seeing that they're in a transition, they're in a transformative, as you said, process, but they just need a little bit of help to be steered through that process. Okay. So what, what I hear you saying, if I'm hearing this correctly, is that you've got the kid, I'm just going to say the kid. Sure. Who's going not just through a transition, but transformation. The parents have their own issues about that which can be a tremendous pressure on the kid. And so in some ways it sounds like you're not just taking care of the kid. You're having to like deal with the parents. I mean, in essence, it sounds like in some cases you're treating the parents as part of the system. I truly believe that when we treat a, a child or a teenager or a young person, we are inherently treating the whole family Mm -hmm. whether they're in the treatment room or not. So just as we know that when we treat one element, it's connected to all the other elements via the Sheng cycle or the Ku cycle, and, and when we treat one element, it therefore has a domino effect on the others. When we treat one member of a family, it can have a, a domino effect on the rest of the family. And that's one of the many uh, absolutely wonderful things that you see when you treat children and teenagers, that not only do they change, but the family change. And sometimes the, the child or the young person that's come for the treatment, I just see them really as the one that happens to be carrying the energetic burden for the family. And when we treat them, it helps to then more evenly spread that burden or to, to unlock something that was stuck within the dynamic of the family. Um, and that's just beautiful to see that process unfold. And mm -hmm. I don't want to make out that it's always that simple because, of course, we know as practitioners, it's not always that simple. And, and sometimes we're confronted with a young person 
where there's such deep dysfunction in the family that we know we're going to have very little impact to affect that. But in those situations, I think it's really important for the practitioner to keep the focus of our patient is the child and the better that we treat them, the the better shape we get them in, the more able they will be able to to ride the difficulty in the family and the less negative impact it's going to have on them. So you're in some ways you're protecting them from their family in with your treatment or giving them the resources to be able to deal with a, a difficult situation. Yeah, absolutely. We're giving them we're giving them the resources. So to use an example of a young boy who before lockdown um I was treating he has um, a very, very severe physical tick. And he's 14 years old. And when you're a 14-year-old boy, it is really not easy to have a very... That would be terrible. ...gross tick. Um, So I, I began treating this boy and we had some progress. We managed to lessen the severity and the the gravity of the tick, but we, we then kind of reached a plateau and through talking to him, it became apparent that his parents are both very, very high flying doctors the boy is a very sensitive, creative, artistic type of boy. And he feels enormous pressure from his parents in terms of what he is expected to achieve in his life. And his parents, I have no doubt, love him, you know, beyond beyond anything. That That's not the issue, but it's you can love your child, but still the child may not receive the love in the way it's being given. And with this boy, he was very sensitive to any kind of criticism and his very high powered, successful parents were really very critical of him. He seemed to never be able to do well enough. So it's love experienced as pressure. Exactly. Exactly. And that, it became apparent, was a big etiological factor in his tics. And I can't change the way his parents are, but the treatment can not only help to release some of the constraints that he feels, his liver pulse was was as wiry as they come, but also I was able to give him a space to talk about some of this, which in itself then transforms the, the feeling. So yes, I think to resource young people so that they can better cope with their circumstances is a really important part of what we do. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. 
This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. I've seen this in my clinic, and it depends on the parents. So I'm thinking of one young man that I saw. He'd come in with, with one of his folks, and and they're like, they bring him here, but then they hang in the waiting room, and, and they really don't interfere. It's just like, it's cool. You take care of yourself. We're out here if you need us, but it's fine. And then I've had other kids where the parent is, it's like they're in the treatment room and I put the needles in and the parent's like, no, I'm just going to hang out here. And, and sometimes I get this sense that this poor kid is so constantly scrutinized by their parent. Cause I felt super scrutinized by that parent. And this is actually in many ways central to the issue that these kids are having they're they're completely under the thumb and under the observation of their parents and they really don't have an opportunity to kind of work out who they are and how they are in this world yeah i think a lot of children are living as if they were under a microscope all the time so everything that they do is assessed and analyzed and commented on and judged in some way. And that it has a myriad potential effects on our chi, but I think one of the very or two of the very common effects it has are to constrain the flow of chi because it's as if they're living in kind of in a cage, really, a sort of energetic cage. And I think it means that the, the Shen often turns inwards. And adolescence is a time when we want the, 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 the Jing, which contains our potential, to be sort of drawn out by the Shen and begin to manifest in the world. And it's a time for finding out our true identity. And teenagers famously try on lots of different identities and lots of different faces. And they can't do that if they're so constrained by parental expectation. So I completely, what you say about your experience of teens very much matches matches mine. And I think that that's one of the reasons for the enormous rise of mental health problems in teenagers, that perhaps if we, if we look back to the earlier years, in the earlier years, what young children and babies need is enormous amounts of of nurture and protecting and you know good nutrition and air and then as they 
as if, you know, like a tree that needs to kind of put down roots. And then as the child grows, what they need is space. But actually what a lot of children are getting is a lack of that nurture in the early years of life and then a lack of the space that they need to, you know, spread their wings later in life in the teenage years. Or sometimes I think what I'm seeing is they get the nurture early in life, but then the parents don't back off and give the kids some room to find out who they are and what they are. I mean, we see this all the time. These days, I, I think probably most parents have their kid's cell phone on their phone. They know where they are. They know what they're doing. I, you know, I don't want to sound like some curmudgeonly old guy, although I am a curmudgeonly old guy these days. But I can remember as an adolescent, it was like, be home for dinner. Don't get yourself killed or injured. We'll see you for dinner. That was it. Absolutely. And if we don't trust our children to go out and do their thing and come back, then they don't get a chance to test their muscle. And I think that, for example, the, the je of the kidneys, the willpower, if we don't use it, it won't grow strong. And so if we overprotect children and then at some point during their teenage years, we're perhaps uh, some of the time still doing that overprotecting, but um, at other times, suddenly expecting them to have resilience and willpower and be strong, then it, it's not going to happen because we haven't given them the opportunity of developing that skill. We haven't given them what psychologists call kind of stress inoculations to allow them to experience little bits of difficulty. Yeah, because, I mean, the way you figure it out is by figuring it out. And how do you get it right? Well, usually by starting with getting it wrong. Yeah. Hold, you know, living through that, figuring something out. Yeah. Rinse, wash, repeat. Absolutely. There's a wonderful quote by um, a Swedish writer, Ellen Kay, who said, at every step, the child should be allowed to meet the real experiences of life. The thorns should never be plucked from his roses. I think that's, that's a beautiful way of putting what we're trying to say. I love that. So... I mean, in some ways, you sound like you've got the perspective of a family therapist because you're a Chinese medicine practitioner. You understand about how systems interlock and interrelate with each other. I get it that people bring their kids to you so you can treat the kid. Hopefully, you can help the kid. The system will change. Do you ever take time and speak to the parents in certain ways that you think would be beneficial to the kid, give them some suggestions or point things out or, or suggest that, I mean, how do I phrase this? Um, do you sometimes, I'm going to use air quotes here and say, treat the parent mm -hmm. as a way of helping the child, maybe not with needles, but with, with, with your relationship sensibility. Very much so. I like to see 
see what I'm doing as really working in a in a three with the child and the parent mm -hmm. because the parent has brought their child because they're concerned about them and they love them dearly and they're really really anxious so and they're they're doing the taxi service to the clinic and they're praying for the treatment so it feels really important to me for many reasons to involve them in the treatment and that doesn't necessarily mean having them in the treatment room in some cases it might be having them out of the treatment room absolutely that that's a that's a necessity some of the time mm -hmm. I, I was treating a 15 year old boy who mother had told me when she booked the appointment that she was very concerned because he was never coming out of his room. He'd stopped meeting his friends. All he wanted to do was be on his Xbox or whatever. You know, it's a very familiar story, isn't it? And she was rightly very concerned. And I did the initial consultation with them both in the room, which I always do because the child doesn't have the, the history, as it were. And on the second or third treatment, the mother was in the waiting room and her son said to me, I just can't stand it. My mother knocks on the door and doesn't wait for an answer and comes in the room. My dad does the same. My sister does the same. No one leaves me alone. And this boy was, in my opinion, a metal causative factor. He was very vulnerable to what he perceived as any kind of intrusion. So I was able to just talk to his mother a bit about the nature of the metal element. And I then got her in the room and we had a three-way conversation and it was much easier for her son to explain to her how he felt with me in the room than it was just face to face with his mum. And I then asked the mother how she felt and she talked about that in front of her son so he could get some of her perspective that she was very anxious. She'd, you know, concocted all sorts of fantasies about what was going on in his room on his computer. And she had a good cry and they both kind of heard each other and they both with my facilitation came to a, an agreement about how they might do things differently. And then in treatment, I helped to strengthen his metal element and, and do anything else that was needed. So the parents are really important part of it because we know that babies and children are still energetically connected to their parents, but teenagers are too, enormously. Well, and they're going through that Connection, not connected. Connected, not connected. They're working that out. And so when they need that connection, they really need that connection. And when they need that space, they really need that space. That's right. They're, they do their elastic band trick, don't they? The elastic band trick, yes. <laughs> I'm really touched by that story of how you have people on both ends and they're each having their own experience that's difficult for them. And, and they're interlocked in a way that it just, it's like it feeds that fire. The, the other thing that I just heard you say that really got my attention was this kid was a metal kid. And it sounds like if you 
have a sense of, of like, who is this kid kind of in a, in a core way? How is through which element do they tend to filter the world? Where do they lean on in terms of their uh, five phase energetic? Now you've got, you've got a place to land because you know how to connect. And now you can see how's that work with the rest of the system. That sounds like a really helpful thing. So without going into, into a big long thing, because this is more a conversation and not a class, I would love to hear, if this is possible, if you could run us through the five phases and like the emblematic teenager for each of those so that the next time we're in clinic, it's like, oh yeah, this kid is really you know, a spleen kind of kid or, oh, this kid's really kind of a water child because I, I suspect it might help us in being able to communicate and speak with those kids, especially if they're being monosyllabic. Sure, absolutely. I will endeavor to keep it succinct, Michael. So just interrupt me if I'm if I'm going off on one too much. Well, we, get, we have as much time as we want because you know, podcaster, meandering conversations. Great. Just before I talk about the five elements, just to say, I always start a consultation with a teenager by asking them who they are rather than how they are. And by asking them what matters to them rather than what is the matter with them. And in my experience, just taking that approach can cut through all that defensive, grumpy, monosyllabic stuff that we so often and so often wrongly associate with teenagers. They're not used to people actually wanting to find out who they are. They're used to people nagging them, expecting things of them, and and all the rest of it. And they're in the process of finding out who they are. So this is a lovely invitation. And you don't ask them what's wrong. You ask them how they are. Well, I ask them who they are and what matters rather than what's the matter. Knowing that they might give a different answer every week, because as you say, they're in the process of finding that out. But it really helps them to be given that opportunity to begin to put some words to some of those ideas and feelings that this surge of yang may be bringing to the surface of their consciousness. And, and also the acupuncture, particularly using points uh, that treat the shen and points on the on the head that affect the the brain actually I think helps to facilitate that process of of maturing and I hear parents say that that they've noticed since their child was having treatment they've grown up in that respect or they've they've been able to take on a more kind of mature role in a particular area or whatever anyway to get to your original question yes well no I mean thank you for those two questions because I heard you say them 
you know, sometimes you hear something and you just go, oh, wait a minute. That's right. Yeah, that those are really powerful questions. And my suspicion is that I can use those not just with teenagers, but certain adults. This will be a very, very helpful set of questions to go into because it takes the focus off of what's the problem and and it puts it on what matters. How often in our life do we get asked, what matters to you? What's important? Never do we. And we don't want to start defining a teenager by, or anyone, as you say, by what's wrong with them. Which, which is what Western medicine, our usual conventional stance is, what's the problem? Because we're here to fix it. Yeah. And I think there's an, there's an added element here that, that teenagers today are, they're the Instagram generation. Oh, I want to get, I want to get into that in just a few minutes. Let's circle back on that in a moment. I'll pause on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Pause on that because I want to get into social media. Okay. But let's run through the five phases here first. Okay. Great. So I always diagnose the five elements by color, sound, emotion, odor. But what I'm going to try and do is just give a little snippet of behaviors and other things that can be really kind of good golden keys, as it were. So the fire element is so adolescence is all about friendships and relationships and the fire element is all about relationships and feeling loved and accepted so if we're with a teenager whose area of difficulty is specifically around relationships friendships for example we may hear them say I went to this party and I'm really worried because I said that to someone and I think I might have said the wrong thing and I'm worried because this person didn't talk to me today and does that mean they don't like me anymore? And to some degree, that's a part of being a teenager. But when that becomes so big that it actually kind of impedes their ability to be contented, then I always look at the fire element and what's going on with that. And also, if I notice a distinct lack of joy, then it makes me think of the fire element because the, one of the qualities of fire is enthusiasm. And if I'm with someone where there's just a distinct lack of, of any kind of joy or laughter or enthusiasm, uh, that makes me think fire. Uh, moving around to earth. So um, teenagers, another thing that's very important to them is finding a tribe. It doesn't matter what tribe it is. It can be the geeky tribe or the, you know, the cool tribe or the sporty tribe, but they really need to be at the center of things of a thing anyway, a tribe. And that's very much to do with the earth element. And we would expect during the adolescent years for a young person to begin to take on more responsibility for their own mothering, for meeting their own needs. So if I'm with a teenager where that doesn't seem to be happening, I will look at what's going on with their earth element. 
the metal element I mentioned earlier with the example of the boy I gave, but I think there are one aspect of, of metal that is very relevant to adolescence is that any transition involves loss mm. and leaving things behind. And I think that we don't give that enough credit, as it were. We don't, we forget as adults what it can feel like to be a teenager and to be leaving childhood behind, childhood which hopefully has been a place of safety and hopefully relative simplicity. And also often at adolescence, we're leaving behind the dream that we were going to be a world-class footballer and we were going to come on come out into the stadium and have thousands of people clapping us we it tends to be the time in life when we realize we're probably just going to be a kind of regular human being so there's the loss of those dreams as well and if I see a, a child struggling in those areas, it will make me think of their metal element. Yeah. You know, this sounds a lot like something that you'll see in much more traditional societies. I think we had it in our society at one point. We don't have it as much these days. And that's some kind of rite of initiation where yeah. childhood is clearly ended. It's gone. It's That's it cut off. Yeah. There's no maybe or like strings attached. It's done. It's severed. Yeah. We used to have that that metal cutting within our cultures. And, you know, there's always some kind of thing like, okay, now you're this age, you get to do that. Maybe it's a driver's license. There's different religions that will sometimes recognize it to some degree. But I don't think we have it in the same deep psycho-emotive way that we used to. And so this, this sounds like an issue of the metal. And perhaps for these kinds of kids, something that, that really helps to sever could be useful. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Absolutely. I think it's a really good point. You're absolutely right. Those rituals served a very important psychological purpose. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it recently in the UK. A lot of teenagers haven't been able to take their final exams because of the coronavirus. So they haven't been able to have that ritual of doing your exams and then having a wonderful summer where you're out there at the end of school and you're 17 and you're with your friends. And, and I think they're really going to have a, an added sort of difficulty in that way. And the other thing about metal, which I think is really important to mention, is that some metal types do need more introversion. They do need more space. And we live in a society that, that likes extroverts. And so I think that's another issue with, with metal types that's an important one to be aware of. So if a teenager is cutting off, staying in their room, not seeing their friends, is it because 
their metal element is not strong enough to provide them with that sense of protection that we all need to go out into the world. And then with water, so we associate water, or I associate water, with, with risk-taking. You know, the, the jeu gives us that ability to know how to protect ourselves, when to when to take risks, etc. And again, risk-taking is a part of being an adolescent. But if there's risk-taking that is off the scale, I will look at what's going on in the water element. And as an interesting aside, research actually shows that the times when teenagers take risks are really only when they're in a group of friends, which to me says a lot about the relationship between fire and water. They take mm -hmm. risks because mm -hmm. they need to be loved and accepted. Well, they've also got a group to help them through that. I mean, it could go both ways. I can I can remember when I was a kid, we didn't wear helmets when we rode bicycles. There were no elbow pads. And I can remember some of my friends, and it's like, we're gonna build these jumps, we're gonna, you know, ride our bikes up in the air and you know, this, that, and the other thing. Cause we do stuff like that in those days. And I can remember thinking, oh yeah, I should do this so I can be part of the group. And then I was thinking. I could get very seriously hurt. How did I know that? Because I had friends with broken arms and legs from doing stuff like that. And I can remember like not wanting to do that. And, you know, of course the friend group was like, well, why not? Are you scared? And it was like, actually, yes. Yeah. It's hard to stand up to that in, in the group. And at the same time, this is one of those things where there are moments where you have to pull down into that kidney jur and go, no, this is a risk not worth taking in service of relationship with this group. Absolutely. And a good group will also push you to take appropriate risks. So you get that real heart kidney relationship going. And it, you know, again, it, it could be too much of one or too little of one, and then you get issues. But if they're balanced, it's really helpful for development. It'll be really helpful. And if I had to say in one sentence what the heart of that sort of transformation of adolescence is all about, I would say it's a recalibration of the fire-water axis, really, which, which completely, you know, what you were just saying is very pertinent to that. Moving around to, or just one more thing about water. There are also the children who don't have the je to actually make the transition at all. And they're the children who are either constitutionally perhaps a bit weak, or you know, they 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 didn't come into the world with strong jing. But they're also sometimes the children who've been very overscheduled from the age of two. So their water, their kidneys are so depleted that they can't actually uh, bring about this surge of yang that we need in order to separate and, and to go through adolescence. That can also happen because of the 
very strong smothering of the parents. It's as if it sort of stamps out the the rising yang and just makes it dissolve so that there's not enough there for the transition or the transformation to be initiated. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. So you're talking about earth overacting on water. Exactly. In this case, too much smothering, too much, air quotes, nourishing. Too much nourishing is not nourishing. No, it's really not. Yeah. It's really not. And so kids need a certain amount of space. They need a certain amount of emptiness. They need some room to grow into. They need some time that's not scheduled. They need all of those things. They're so simple, aren't they? And yet they seem to be so difficult to give that. It it seems to be so difficult to give that to children. And that's one of the one of the silver linings of our current situation, though, Michael, I think. Children are actually finding out what it's like to have time and to have some space and to not be pressured and and scheduled all the time. Some of us adults are finding that as well. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Absolutely. And then going around to the wood element. So again, a bit of good old liver cheese stagnation is appropriate for adolescents because this surge of yang that comes from the water element then comes through to the child, the wood element. And initially, a young person doesn't quite know what to do with that energy. And so they it's as if they've been used to driving a, a clapped out old banger and then they get put behind the wheels of a, of a sports car. You know, they've suddenly got all of this kind of chi and they can't quite manage it. But if I'm with a young person who I see is really struggling in some way with their relationship with emotions in the anger family, that may be, for example, that they have a lot, that they're always raging, or, and this is what always worries me the most, that they have a large amount of imploded 
wood energy and they're very depressed. It's all just gone inwards and they've gone into that kind of what's the point? It's hopeless state. Then that makes me think of the wood element. But that last one is when I worry. So I, I love this wood piece. It sounds so exactly right for adolescence. I mean, just in terms of like springing up and coming into the world. Yeah. Yes, it can it can be the outward. You got the angry kid. It could be inward. You've got the kid that's shutting themselves down. I, I think any of us can think about kids that we know and see how that's working in one way or another. I'm also thinking about just how the five phases work. And so you've got all this wood energy coming up. That gives you some juice to feed the fire of relationships. It also gives you the power to control that earth, get mom and dad to back off a bit. Exactly. So that you can develop your own will. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And with many of us parents today, these children need a lot of that wood energy to to get the, the earth to back off. Because when you had eight children, you know, you just wouldn't, there wouldn't be enough mothering to go around, as it were. But uh, with one or two children, it's very different, isn't it? Right. So if you have a kid in your practice and they're kind of that inward imploded, if you're working with them and now you're hearing about the arguments that they're having with their parents that they weren't having before, Mm. you would probably take that as a positive sign, wouldn't you? Definitely. And I would talk to parents about that. I look for that. I remember a girl who once came for treatment and her mother thankfully really understood what teenagers should be doing. And she said to me, uh, this was a good few years ago when teenage were, teenagers were on Facebook, which they're not anymore. But she said, I just wish my daughter would spend more time on Facebook, go out to parties, start drinking and get a boyfriend. Because she, <laughs> which is not normal, is it, for parents of teenagers? But this girl, all she was doing was studying. And, you know, taking endless music exams and and being a super high achiever in every sphere of her life. Unfortunately, she also, what she wasn't doing was eating. So that inward imploded wood element had then kind of translated into developing anorexia. And so, yes, I see it as always a good outcome to treatment if those children then start actually getting that wood energy outwards, which is where it's meant to be going. You know, this is such a tricky needle to thread because if a kid's doing really well in school and they're, they're doing excellently scholastically, most people would be pretty happy with that and think, hey, this kid's you know pretty okay. But again, look at the situation, look at what else is going on. That could be actually a symptom of something not quite being right, especially if the mother's like, you should be going out like drinking and getting a boyfriend. Yeah. Right. That, that, that would get you thinking, all right, what else is going on here? Yeah. I think an overly compliant teenager always rings alarm bells. Definitely. Yeah. So overly compliant, you want to look at the wood element, generally speaking. Yes, very generally speaking. Yes, yes. 
because that yeah the wood should be fighting in in teenagers it should be fighting and and getting fighting to make space and getting everyone to back off and forging a path in life you know the liver the planner actually having a vision of the future beginning to kind of formulate that vision of the future mm-hmm. and of course that comes rooted out of the will yes yeah yes isn't it amazing how these five phases are just, it's like we can look at it and look at it and unwind it and unpack it and, oh, look, there it is. And here's how that works. And this is how it looks in this particular situation. It really is. I remember when I first began studying Chinese medicine and I thought everything hones back to these. It's like, don't you have to like be making up a lot of stuff to make that work? And, and the answer is not really when you know how to look. It feels like we could talk about the five elements for, you know, 50 years and we'd still be seeing new ways of understanding them. Yeah, it's, it is it is one of the true benefits of the work that we get to do and the medicine that we get to practice. You mentioned this mom and saying, I wish the kid was on Facebook. Let's talk about social media for a little bit because it, it's such a big thing. Like you were saying, kids aren't even on Facebook. Like Facebook, that's for old people. Oh, yeah. No, that's for dinosaurs. Yeah. That's for dinosaurs. So so where are kids? But more importantly, not just where are kids, but what do you see as the influence of social media that in some ways is filling in the gaps in helping kids to to um, mature, you know, and work through some of these issues that we all need to work through as we go in that chrysalis and dissolve from caterpillar into butterfly, right? This is, this is, this is an expression of fire energy to some degree. So where do you see the benefit in it and where do you see the problems with it? Well, I really like the way you phrased the question because we often like to say it's just all problematic and there are no benefits, but actually we need to really recognize for teenagers that there are huge benefits as well. And we need to recognize that in our interactions with teenagers, because if we come across as someone who thinks that them being on their screens all the time is just really bad, then we have alienated them, you know, before we've even started. So... I think that, I mean, let's look at some of the benefits. I mean, particularly now, you know, there Mm -hmm. are teenagers who have not been able to see any friends or anyone outside of their family for months. And I am so grateful for them at this time that they have technology so they can actually communicate because being in in lockdown is at complete odds to what we've been talking about, to their natural process of going outwards and kicking back and separating and finding space. So social media helps them to connect. It helps them to pursue their interests. You know, I think that... I'm constantly amazed by what teenagers know because they find it out somehow on social media. It can help them to be 
you know, politically involved and active because of and, and to find groups of people who are like them. Mm-hmm. Find their tribe. Find their tribe. Exactly. So all of that is is really beneficial. But and of course, there's a big but, isn't there? I think that the wrong use of social media can create big energetic imbalances. And I think perhaps the first question that it's helpful to ask is, why is this child, let's take an example, spending eight hours a day looking at their phone? Why is this teenage girl, this 14-year-old girl glued to her Instagram, Snapchat, or whatever else account? And trying to unpick that can be really diagnostically useful. So, for example, is she constantly on social media because she doesn't have any internal sense that she's lovable? So she only feels good when she's getting that feedback of, you know, having more followers or likes or friends or whatever it is she gets on social media or having constant contact with someone. That's the only thing that keeps her fire energy up. And when she puts her phone down, she feels flat. Or, for example, does she pick up her phone because she feels really anxious and it's like a comforter for her. If she can then lose herself in the world of social media, it means she can separate from those feelings of anxiety, for example. So I think there are pathologies that lead children to over-rely on social media. But then I think there are pathologies that come it's a vicious circle. There are then more pathologies that come from the overuse. And I think one of the most common ones is it disturbs and agitates the Shen. So the Shen and the heart need to be a quiet, empty space. And even we know as adults that if we get a bit lost online or whatever reason, I know I, for one, come off feeling a bit kind of agitated and angsty. And and for teenagers, you can kind of, that effect is magnified because there's this yang surging up from the kidneys, magnifying every kind of feeling that they have. They feel extra vulnerable and sensitive and sort of suggestible. So I think it can cause the Shen to become agitated. I think that in turn that can create more heat. It can mean that blood is depleted. And I think uh, I don't want to be too sort of drawing gender stereotypes, but it tends to be more boys who spend more time playing 
games on their Xbox or their um, PlayStation. And a lot of those games are very, very adrenalizing. So they fire up the kidneys even more. They stagnate the chi because they're not moving. And that's why they're grumpy when they come off, because when they come off their Xbox or whatever it is, you're taking them away from their adrenaline rush and they're having a sort of come down from from the adrenaline rush. Let's call it drug withdrawal. Exactly. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And then girls... Again, a bit stereotypical, but they're probably more on Instagram, who looks more pretty, who's more skinny, who's got the nice dress, who's, you know, and and they're comparing for social status. And of course, everything is curated online. So we we're always looking at the fantasy image. Yeah. And we rarely get to see who the person is in real life. That's right. And I think that feeds in very much to what we were talking about earlier, that I have a lot of teenagers who may have some anxiety or uh, some anger or some worry or whatever it is, but they then have anxiety about having the emotion Because when they live their lives on Instagram, it looks like no one ever has any emotion other than complete blissful happiness. So they then begin to perceive emotions that are a normal part and not normal, but absolutely crucial part of being human to be something that's not actually right. And they take it to mean that they actually have something wrong with them because they do feel this emotion. You just said something that really got my attention. Emotions that are not just normal, but crucial. Mm. These are things that we need. And that this thing, this crucial emotion that's uncomfortable and kids think, oh, this is what's wrong with me. I can, I can guarantee you this is not just kids. I see this in adults all the time. There's something about them, and they say, this is something that's wrong with me, but it's not something wrong with them. It's actually something that's right about them. Exactly, exactly. And I think that the whole social media thing means we have a generation of kids who are growing up thinking emotions are wrong. And as we know very well as Chinese medicine practitioners, if we then try and suppress them, they create many more problems. And if we suppress one emotion, we essentially suppress them all. If we, if we bury our anger deep down, we can no longer feel joy or happiness. So I spend a lot of time talking to teenagers about their experience of emotions. And there's, there's a wonderful book I normally recommend to them by a, a psychologist called Mark Freeman. It's called You Are Not a Rock. And the, this, the title sums it up, really, that I, I try and help, help teenagers to know that, as you say, this means there's something right with them, that they're feeling these feelings. There's then the, the, the lead on from that is, well, we need to try and manage them in an appropriate way. It's, it's absolutely normal and healthy that you feel anger. 
that doesn't mean it's acceptable to trash your bedroom and hit your little sister. But it's not the emotion that's wrong. It's the behavior that might follow from it that might be problematic. Well, I think a lot of adults could learn that as well. We all could, couldn't we? Absolutely. We really all could, yeah. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I, I'm struck by, here we are toward the end of this conversation, back where we were in the beginning, talking about that you can't touch one aspect of a person and not be touching the whole thing. You can't just touch one person without touching the family and community that they're connected to. Yes, absolutely. And I think that it's really important to hold that thought as a practitioner because I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel inadequate in the face of the enormity of what I'm confronted with. But I try to remind myself that my only job is to try to the best of my ability to treat the person in front of me and then trust the ripples that will come from that. It's such a helpful reminder. I, I, I don't know of any practitioner that I've been able to have a conversation with about how we feel in clinic in those moments where we go, who am I to try to deal with this? Yeah. yeah. I, I think we all face that. I think it's part of, of what you work with as a practitioner. Yeah. It, it's kind of, it's almost like shadowy dark material, but we all have to learn to sort of well it like a teenager goes through working out their emotions. We have to be able to sit with that and trust that the work we do and bringing the best that we have to offer is enough and then trust the system to take care of itself. Yeah, exactly. We have to be able to to bear it, don't we? Mm -hmm. We have to be able to bear it. Yes, we do. Yeah. And and just like teenagers have to bear feeling these emotions that have suddenly been ramped up in volume when their yang began to surge and it can be really really difficult and uncomfortable and providing them with a with a space in the treatment room every week or however often it is to just help them to bear it and sit with it can be before we even begin to put a needle in is just <laughs> so have you noticed that sometimes the most powerful part of the treatment is before needles ever go in? Yes, mm -hmm. very much so. It's a, it's right at the beginning when we say, who are you? What matters to you? I love that. That is so useful. I can't wait to try it out. <laughs> Great. You must I let just, me know how it goes. I will. I will. Rebecca, thank you so much for this time. I feel like I've learned a tremendous amount um, I, I have a ever deeper appreciation for the five phases. I'm looking forward to seeing. I mean, I've, I, I already enjoy the teenagers that I have in my practice, and I'm just looking forward to seeing how I see them with slightly different eyes now. Anything else that you'd like to share with us before we wind it down for today? I think there's just one more thing that feels too important not to mention, Michael, that I think that we're often trained to go right in there and start talking about people's inner worlds. And I think that for some teenagers, that is too threatening in the first instance. 
And I think that we have to be prepared perhaps when we treat teenagers to get them on the, on the couch pretty quickly, get the needles in. And once the needles get things flowing, then they will feel more able to reveal more of themselves. So I think that just felt important to mention because it's different to adults, very different to adults, where we tend to perhaps feel like we haven't done a good job unless unless we've gone right in there and uh, had a sort of in-depth talk about their their inner emotional worlds. Sometimes I don't want to have an in-depth emotional talk about someone's world. No. It's absolutely. I, I don't find it that helpful much mm. of the time. And if I can just get them on the table and get the right needles in, they'll take care of it on their own. I think you're very right. And I, that's something that I've learned through treating teenagers. It's okay. That's not a bad thing to do. It's a good thing yeah. to do. And with teenagers, it's sometimes a very necessary thing to do. Great. Well, again, thanks so much for your time. Uh, if people want to get in touch, you have a book, don't you? Do you have a book? I do have a book. You yes. You have a book. Tell us a little bit about your book and how people would find you online if they want to know more about what you're up to. So my book is called Acupuncture for Babies, Children and Teenagers. And the subtitle is Treating Both the Illness and the Child. And it was published by Singing Dragon a couple of years ago. And the best way of finding me is to go to my website, which is RebeccaAvon.com. And then you can follow the follow the leads from there. Great. I'll make sure all of that's on the show notes page. So you can just click on over if you're listening to this and, and get right to that. Rebecca, thanks again. Thank you, Michael. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.